We're at the top of page 13. We come now to Lord's Day 16 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read questions 40 through 44 responsibly together. Why did Christ have to suffer death? Because God's justice and truth require it. Nothing else could pay for our sins except the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testifies that he really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but only a dying to sins and an entering into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By his power, our old man is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him. Why does the creed add, he descended into hell? To assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. Let's go to the Lord now and ask for his Spirit's help as we look into the doctrines of Christ together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to look upon us now in grace as we look away from ourselves and into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed as our mediator and our Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness to the glory and exaltation of his name the instruction and building up of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in dependence on his Holy Spirit. Amen. We say in this catechism at the very beginning, famously, that we belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And these two parts of us as human beings, the body and the soul, come up again and again in Christian teaching. And they are strategically placed throughout our catechism. Scripture speaks to you as a whole person. Whatever makes you up, God has something to say to you through Jesus Christ and by his Holy Spirit. And Scripture wants to deliver that message to you, that you might have comfort in both body and in soul. Scripture shows you that God has provided for both parts all its needs, the body and the soul, outwardly for the body, inwardly for the soul. And that is a very important thing for us to recognize today as we turn to Lord's Day 16. Because what our catechism teaches us here is that because Christ has made his descent into the grave and into the terrors and suffering of hell, we have assurance in our deepest moments of temptation and suffering, and especially at the moment of our death, that Christ will deliver us and that he knows our pain and our suffering. 
Christ has suffered in both body and soul. And so now because he's done this, great benefits come to you, body and soul. This is all the more important because we don't spend very much time thinking about the moment of our death. Of course, there could be a kind of unhealthy infatuation that could come of, uh, of focusing so much on that moment. But I think it's safe to say, by and large, in Western culture, we mostly avoid the thought of dying. And if we are confronted with the concept of death, because we've heard about something terrible in the news or we've lost a friend or a loved one, then that concept brings us a lot of terror and fear. And so what we do, instead of embracing it in a Christian, in a godly manner and thinking about it as Scripture teaches us to think about it, we simply try to push it out of our minds, redirect our minds onto something else altogether. But the teaching that is before us today shows us how to embrace suffering and death. And we do these things, as usual, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first this evening, we focus on Christ's descent into the grave. His descent into the grave. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead. We looked at those in previous weeks. And that he was buried and descended into hell, which is what we are looking at tonight. And in an important way, it's right to refer to everything that Christ did here in his earthly ministry as a descent. Even going back earlier into the creed, before we talk about his suffering under Pontius Pilate. But his incarnation, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, these are all, in an important sense, all part of his descent because he was the eternal Son of God who has now come down. He has come down, he's descended, and he has done this by taking on flesh, living among us, and certainly through his suffering and his crucifixion. But the creed goes on to highlight his burial and his descent into hell. All of this can be summed up as Christ's descent. He came down before he went up from the grave and then back up to his father. And the descent of Christ refers both to his body and to his soul. All that he suffered outwardly happened to a true human body. He was and remains a man. And uh, what he suffered on the outside was uh, with a body, a true human body. And he's done this in order to redeem and raise our bodies. And that we might learn no longer to offer the members of our body to unrighteousness, as Paul prohibits us from doing in Romans, but instead to offer those same bodies as a living sacrifice of thanks and praise to God. Now, the low point of this suffering, this bodily suffering in Christ, is shown to us in his burial. That is the low point of his bodily suffering. Zacharias or Sinus, that's the name of the main writer of our catechism, he says this about this article of the Creed. Christ was not unwilling to become a corpse for our sake. Christ was not unwilling to become a corpse for our sake. This is an amazing teaching. Because in Scripture, the grave is depicted as a place to be feared. The psalmists so often cry out, God, deliver me from 
Sheol, the grave, the Old Testament concept of the place of the dead. Deliver me from this. If I go down into the pit, will I be able to praise you from down there? No, I'll I'll sleep the sleep of silence when I, I get down there. The grave is a place to be feared. It's a constant reminder that sin has come into the world and death through sin. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Death is the result of sin. And so it is always an alarm bell sounding when we think about death and the grave and tombs and so forth that this place has been cursed by sin. Under the law of Moses... Spending time around tombs and dead bodies made a person ceremonially unclean so that without a purifying ritual, they could not approach the tabernacle or the temple of God in sacred worship. It is to that place, the grave, that we confess Christ has descended. He has descended into not just death, but into that place of uncleanness to cleanse the unclean and to put to death in us our sin. That we might have our sins nailed to the tree and taken down into the grave that they may no longer have dominion over us. As question and answer 41 from the Catechism tells us, his, der- his burial is a public dis- testimony to everyone that Jesus really died. He really died. He did not fake it. He didn't pass out to be revived in the cool of the cave. He didn't secretly switch places with someone else. All of these are teachings that you can find in bookstores nationwide and around the world. But his tomb testifies that the Son of God truly descended, not only into the world, not only into our human frailties and weaknesses, but into the grave. Set aside for dead bodies, for corpses, and Christ was consigned to that place. Those are the sufferings of his body. That it might have a redemptive effect on our own bodies. There's another kind of suffering that we highlight in the creed and in our catechism. That is his descent into hellish anguish. His descent into hellish anguish. Christ also suffered inwardly in his soul. And this is the kind of suffering that we are focusing on when we confess he descended into hell. He descended into hell. For many good reasons, it does not work for us to say that this article of the creed means that Christ literally went to the location of hell. It does not work to say that. Scripture, not only does Scripture not teach that, And many passages have been put forward and twisted in order to make it sound like that's what Christ has done. Uh, But also, if the creed meant that, then it would have said that he descended into hell before he was buried. In other words, if Christ had literally ventured into hell, this would have been after, this would have happened after his death on the cross. So that the creed would have said something like this. He was crucified, dead, descended into hell, and he was buried. Because this descent into the place, the spiritual place of hell, would have happened when he uh, committed his soul outside of his body. 
But the creed doesn't give us that order, and Scripture doesn't teach that Christ went to the actual location of hell. In fact, we read the opposite. Jesus himself told the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. There's no time frame that Scripture gives us to say that Christ, in, uh, in giving up his spirit, that that spirit then went down into the depths of hell. No, we say he went up into paradise. Into the hands of his father he committed his soul from the cross. And so we take this portion of the creed to refer to the anguish, pain, and terror of soul that Christ experienced on the cross and throughout his life. That's question answer 44. We hear the experience of Christ in the words of Psalm 88 that we read earlier. Uh, All the Psalms point to Christ and, and many of them, perhaps most of them, are giving us the words of Christ in his humiliation and in his exaltation. And here we have his humiliation before us. Psalm 88, we hear Christ say, My soul is full of troubles. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. So often, uh, perhaps you've experienced this, but so often our bodies actually can't hide that inward suffering that we are facing. Fright, well, you know, it's a kind of deep fear can make you shake. It'll make your body shake. You feel it on the inside, it manifests itself on the outside. Um, you have either memories of past pain or dread about some future pain. And it can cause you to feel as though you're going through that pain right then and there. Your body sometimes manifests what is going on in your soul. And this is the case with our Savior as well. His inner turmoil, his dread at facing the terror of God's wrath, led him to sweat as drops of blood on the night before his crucifixion. Manifesting to us, as the scripture writers are testifying to us, manifesting to us, a deep and dark turmoil in his soul. And he has gone through this, brothers and sisters, for your redemption. Your body and soul were subject to death before Christ came and before the Holy Spirit applied the merits of his suffering to you. Your body and soul were subject to death in the grave, death in hell, but Christ has descended to those places. He has descended to hell. He has proven the truth of his death by being buried. And he has suffered internal terrors, even in his soul, for you. To deliver you, body and soul, from such an end. These are the sufferings of his body, that he's gone into the grave. The sufferings of his soul, that he's descended into hell. Now then, what are the benefits of Christ's descent? The benefits of his descent. Because what he has suffered now comes to you as benefit. It is net gain for you what he has suffered. And what we find is that since he has suffered in body and soul, then you now have assurance in the hour of your death and in all your moments of dread and despair. You have true assurance from Christ 
and by his Holy Spirit. The first thing that you have to embrace in order to have assurance during deepest dread and at the moment of your death, the first thing you must embrace is that none of your suffering, including your death, is payment for sin. You do not face suffering in this life, outwardly, inwardly, or the moment of your death, because God is angry and has now come for revenge. That is not the nature of your suffering or your death. Your Savior has offered a once-for-all sacrifice on the cross, and that sacrifice is a perfect and sufficient payment for your sins. And so you're not paying for your sins. Lest God be guilty of punishing sins twice, both in his son and then in you. It is true there are consequences for sin. Sometimes there's dreadful consequences, significant ones. But none of them are working to satisfy the wrath of God that is looming over you because that wrath has been extinguished in the death and suffering of Jesus Christ. And he has done this in your place as your mediator, as your substitute. He has stood in the place, taken this wrath. He's made the payment so that none of your suffering can possibly be payment for sin. When temptation comes from the world or from the devil, that kind of temptation, it it is a suffering that we face. Temptation can be very strong and deep and demanding. And when it comes either from the world or through the accusations of the devil, Jesus Christ is near to you in those moments. When your soul is filled with sorrow, Christ is near to you. When you're confronted with grief and with dread, Christ is near to you. He is a sympathetic high priest because he's gone through it worse than any of us have gone through it. To a degree and an extent that we cannot possibly fathom or imagine Because he alone as the God-man was able to go through that kind of suffering. And so he is sympathetic in your hour of need and will be a sympathetic high priest in the moment even of your death. He knows the suffering and his suffering was truly the payment for sin. So that although we do not confess that he went to the location of hell, we most assuredly confess that he's faced the anguish and the torment of hell. To deliver you from it. And in the hour of your death, whenever that comes, be strengthened by this fact that Christ has transformed even your death into something redemptive. It is true that death is, as Paul calls it, the last enemy. It's not natural, it's not good, it is cursed. It is the punishment uh, for the fact that sin has, sin has come into this world. And yet, As we confess in our catechism, all things come to pass, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand, and that all things will be worked for your salvation. Death is not somehow excluded from that promise, but that he's even turned death into your gain. It is no longer payment for sins as though uh, God is uh, finally putting the nail in the coffin and, and exacting what he needed to take from you. But through Christ's death and burial, the sting of death is now relieved. You can face the moment of death, whether it comes suddenly and unexpectedly, or whether it is long and drawn out. However, it comes with confidence that on the other side of it, you will face the blessing of total relief from sin 
total relief from pain and an entrance into the presence of Jesus Christ. Here's Zacharias or Sinus again, a really lovely paragraph in his comments on the catechism. He says, Christ was buried that we might not be terrified in view of the grave, but might know that he has sanctified our graves by his own burial, so that they are no longer graves to us, but chambers and resting places in which we may quietly and peacefully repose until we are again raised to life. The grave is no longer this fearful portal that takes us into deep darkness, but it is a place of rest. And so, loved ones in Christ, when sorrow overwhelms you like a flood, set your heart on Christ, remembering that he has risen victoriously over death. And do not fear death, but when in God's timing it finally comes, welcome the benefits that it brings with it, a dying to sin and entering into eternal life and a long rest for your body while you wait for the day of resurrection. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful Father, we thank you for having established your covenant with your church. For as you have told us, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This promise you have not only signified and sealed by holy baptism, but daily proved by perfecting your praise through the mouths of children, and so putting to shame the wise and the understanding of this world. Father, continue to establish your saints in this faith throughout their lives. So give us the grace to inwardly digest the food you have given us, and to instruct our children in your knowledge and fear until they have reached complete maturity. All of this we ask in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.